BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. People always ask where I get outfit and style inspo. And really, it just comes from going to my favorite websites and checking out what is new. Well, my one stop shop for all things fashion is Farfetch. It is literally the first place I go when I want to browse and update my wardrobe a little. Or if I have a specific event or trip coming up that I need to shop for, they have the best selection from all of my favorite designers. And they have things that I can't find anywhere else. Like recently when I went to Miami, I wanted this little black cutout dress that I couldn't find in my size anywhere, but Farfetch had it. So Farfetch is the best online shopping destination, period, in my opinion. Farfetch is currently offering 10% off when you spend $200 up until June 22nd of this year. Just use my code Ariel at checkout. Brand exclusions apply and terms and conditions can be found on the Farfetch website. Welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there's so much information out there, so I'm bringing on expert guests and sharing my own experiences to help you sift through all the wellness stuff without the BS. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is kind of a special episode. I actually just went back to confirm if, in fact, today's guest was my first ever guest on the podcast, and he was. So I'm talking to Rob Yang. He has been my nutritionist for, I think, around seven years, kind of off and on. But as you'll hear in this episode, he's so much more than a nutritionist. And I'll get into his background a little bit here shortly. But he was my first guest ever on April 17th, 2019. Please do not go back and listen to that episode. Now that I've said it, I've probably piqued a few people's interest, but just take my word for it. I remember recording it at the house in Malibu. I think we did it over Zoom, maybe. And this was like pre-pandemic, pre-Zoom. Didn't know what I was doing. Like, it's just not we don't need to listen to it. And today's episode is so amazing. And we go over a lot of the kind of fundamentals that we talked about in that episode anyway, but it was really fun to have him back whenever I have any kind of health issue. I always refer to him and he always is able to help clear up whatever it is that I have going on. It's pretty amazing. So a little bit about Rob. He is a highly sought after nutritionist, strength and conditioning specialist, international presenter and an author who works with athletes from the NFL, the MLB, NHL, PGA, LPGA, 
X Games and yours truly, the most elite athlete of them all. And today he is on the show to talk about his fundamentals of health, including his kind of updated version of what the food pyramid should be, including hydration, nutrition, supplements at the top. So we get into kind of the nitty gritty of that. And then we also talk about how to optimize gut and hormonal health, how they are so interconnected. We talk about how stress affects your health kind of from the top down. And we really get into detail in all of these things. So I'm not doing any of the discussion justice by just rattling off these topics, but it is super fascinating. He has a lot of really surprising facts and tips about digestion. I think some of the things that he suggests are things that you can all implement today that will help your digestion. And we talk about the connection between breakfast, blood sugar, cortisol, and circadian rhythm, including why I am now eating within 30 minutes of waking up, which I referenced in my last solo episode and promised that we would get into more in this episode. And we talk about the importance of protein, how much protein. We talk about electrolytes and how they affect hormones and overall health and neurotransmitters. And we talk about SIBO, gut issues, FODMAPs, supplementation, this really interesting concept of social jet lag. There's just so much in this episode. Rob is really amazing at taking these kind of complex mechanisms and, you know, different functions of the body and how they all work together. And he's able to break it down in a pun intended, not really, really digestible way. And he makes it really easy to understand. Like I said, a lot of practical, easy tips that you can do, you know, for free starting today that can help to improve your health and just your overall well-being, how you feel. So please enjoy Robert Yang. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. I should have checked before I came here, but I'm trying to remember if you were my first ever podcast guest or maybe my second. I mean, maybe, definitely like the maybe, very, very maybe beginning. Top three. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, I, think. I think you were either my first or second. I should go back yeah. and check, but you and I have kind of been working together off and on for a long time. And you're my go-to whenever I'm having any kind of health issue. <laughs> you're just so talented. And so I'm really honored to have you back on. And we'll probably discuss a lot of the things that we talked about in the first episode. But, you know, four years later, I think we can Yeah, there's, <laughs> you know, maybe those. some changes, updated information. For sure. So to start out, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then Tell us what your fundamentals of health are. Sure. So I started back in probably 94, 95, started working with people on the exercise part, a little bit of nutrition. And it was mostly, I would say, strength and conditioning and training people. And then had my license as, as well as my master's degree from nutrition. And it just over the years, that's always been a personal interest of mine, nutrition and health and performance. And then the sort of functional medicine model, I found out about that. And then I really took a deep dive into it with seminars and more education. And it just evolved over time where now half, more than half my practice, probably 60, 70% is working with people with gut issues or hormonal imbalances, liver detoxification, could be skin issues at times. So that's, you know, 
my background, and I'm also a full-time strength coach. So I do have a studio in Sanitas, California. And I would say the, I mean, the number one fundamental in my sort of basic food pyramid is, you know, the base and foundation is water hydration. So I put on my glasses, I'm like, oh yeah, Mountain Valley spring water. I, you know, I haven't had this water in a while. <laughs> you're looking but, at the total dissolved solids. Oh yeah, you already or... <laughs> know where I was going at. Um, but it, real generally, the base and foundation of the food pyramid is just water hydration. And I think people should start with half their body weight in ounces of water a day first with a little bit of sodium because that's the main electrolyte in the body. And then the middle tier would be whole foods. And one of my sort of common themes that I try to get across to people is your BFF for blood sugar control is PFF, and that's protein, fats, and fiber. And we can get into that a little bit if you want to. And then the top tier are supplements. And they are on the top because water and whole food is that base and foundation for the supplements to be effective, mm-hmm. the supplement and the diet, mm-hmm. essentially. I'm curious, since you are so heavily passionate about the nutrition piece and the strength and conditioning piece, mm. if you could only do one, what do you think is more important, nutrition or physical exercise? I mean, that's a tough one. I would say the nutrition side, if I had to choose one, if someone said, you look, I, I can only choose one thing to really focus on because I've got 10 million things going on in my life, then I would say, okay, let's focus on your nutrition. Mm-hmm. Just because with exercise, an average person might have, you know, twice a week with a trainer or they go to the gym, Pilates class, and then they might walk every other day or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like maybe one exposure a day that could influence your hormones and burn calories. In that way, I would say, you know, nutrition, I would say choose that. But, you know, in the context of health and fitness, people always say, well, what's more important, nutrition or exercise? Well, mm-hmm. they're both important. Like if you want to put muscle on your glutes or your shoulders, or you have to do exercise, but you also have to eat well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't just eat Doritos and chips and right. soda and expect to put on muscle. So in that context, you know, they both matter. Mm-hmm. In this episode, Rob and I are talking about the importance of protein, fiber, and fat in our diets. And we're also talking about the importance of stabilizing blood sugar early in the morning because that will essentially set the tone for your blood sugar throughout the rest of your day and your circadian rhythm, which is something I did not know until we recorded this episode. And you guys probably know that one of my favorite things to incorporate into my morning routine are macadamia nuts. So macadamias are basically the perfect snack. They can help to reduce cravings. They don't spike your glucose levels. They can help to reduce inflammation all while also promoting collagen production. So these are all amazing things. And it's something that I'm excited to eat. So health experts, high performance athletes, doctors, they've all been talking about macadamias. And this is why. So macadamias are the lowest carb nut. They have more healthy fat than even avocado. And they are rich in the rare omega-7s that no other oil or nut has. So macadamia benefits are totally unique. An issue that I always run into, though, when I buy macadamias from the store, I'm sure you guys all know what I'm talking about, is this kind of funky 
almost plasticky aftertaste that some of them have, even when I buy like really expensive organic ones. So I always buy my macadamia nuts and any macadamia products from House of Macadamias. They have the highest quality premium macadamias in a range of bars, which are so delicious. They have the purified oil, which I've been talking about a lot because it has a really high smoke point. So I use it for all of my cooking now and it has a really nice, like rich kind of nutty flavor. And then they also have nuts and nut butters. Actually, a recent study showed macadamia oil has more beneficial effects to overall human health than olive oil or coconut oil. So it's Omega-7s, again, have been linked to natural collagen production, increased skin elasticity, anti-inflammatory properties, and fat loss. So as you are listening to this episode and you're getting inspired to incorporate more healthy fats into your day for all of the amazing health benefits, go to houseofmacadamias.com slash blonde because they are offering my listeners a free box of their best seller Namibian sea salted macadamia nuts. They're so good. These are worth $35 and you will get that box free with your purchase plus 20% off your whole order with the code blonde. So again, you can get the oil, you can get the nut butters, you can get the bars, you can get the macadamias, everything you need to have all of those amazing healthy fats in your diet. You can use the oil with your salad dressings, you can roast vegetables, so many ways that you can use it. So again, houseofmacadamias.com slash blonde with the code blonde, and you'll get a free box of the Namibian sea salted macadamia nuts and 20% off your whole order. I'm recording this from my parents' house. I was here a couple months ago, dog sitting. Now I'm just visiting for the weekend. But every time I come, I laugh because their dog has the most complicated plating feeding situation that I've ever seen in my life. And it just makes me laugh. Every time I'm here, I think they need some Sundays for dogs. So Sundays is air-dried dog food made from a short list of human-grade ingredients. It was co-founded by Dr. Tori, a practicing veterinarian. It contains 90% meat, 10% vegetables, and 0% synthetic ingredients. So besides USDA beef and all-natural chicken, you'll find digestive aids like pumpkin and ginger, plus disease-fighting antioxidants. And it is zero prep, zero mess, and zero stress. So it's shelf stable, which makes it easy to feed your dog top quality food. And it's just so convenient. There's no freezing and defrosting and reheating and mess with anything. In fact, Sundays costs 40% less than other healthy dog food brands because they don't waste money shipping frozen packages. Instead, they spend on what matters, which is sourcing the best all-natural ingredients for your dog. And dog parents report noticeable health improvements in their dogs, including softer fur, which I can attest to, fresher breath, more energy, so much more. So we worked out a special deal for my dog loving listeners. You can get 35% off your first order of Sundays. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash blonde or use the code blonde at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S.com forward slash blonde. Upgrade your pup to Sundays and feel good about the food you feed your dog. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. 
With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing conversations to come. New episodes of With Wit are available every Tuesday on all platforms. Yeah, there's the saying, yeah. and I think you did a post on this too, like you can't out-train a bad diet. Right? Yeah, I'm, well, I mean, I, I did say that, I think, but then I've had people contact me and they do out-train a bad diet really? in the context of maintaining their weight. Right. So essentially what they do is they over-exercise, mm-hmm. but then they run into problems like they have runner's knee or they have plantar fasciitis because, you know, they have to run the three to six miles every day or go to the gym as well for an hour, you know, four times a week, and they just can't maintain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds yeah. like they're just making it harder for themselves. Yeah, in one way. <laughs> and then it's sort of double whammy because at one point the knee gives out or they mm-hmm. tear a meniscus or they just can't exercise at that point. And then there goes your calorie burning, right, mm-hmm. essentially. And then you still have a poor diet. And then, of course, weight comes on, inflammation increases, and you get a snowball effect. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's start with hydration. Mm-hmm. This is something that you really ingrained in me when we were first working together years ago. And that was water first thing in the morning, also adding the electrolytes, you know, adding salt to the water. And then more recently, when we've been working together, not drinking too much water. So I've kind of been on both ends of the right. spectrum. So where is like the sweet spot there when it comes to hydration? Yeah, you mentioned really, half your half body, your body weight, weight analysis. Yeah, it's a really good question because you know, you have one extreme or the other where you have a person that maybe drinks a glass of water to take their medication at night. Mm-hmm. And then they have a couple of cocktails. And, you know, they might have, you know, coffee, tea, soda during the day. And that's the extent of their water in the intake, mm-hmm. right? And I, when I say half your body answers of water, I'm talking just plain water first. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have a lot of fitness professionals or, you know, people promoting health. Mostly I would say, it's kind of like bodybuilding, that sort of sort of category. You know, like the badge of honor when I was younger was, oh, carry my gallon jug of water. Now at that time, that was probably maybe the appropriate time because I was bigger at that time. But that's sort of touted for everybody to drink that much water or the, the more water, the better. But the problem becomes is if a woman is 120 pounds and they're drinking that gallon of water, that's, you know, that's almost three and a half you know, liters, which is, you know, almost double of what they should be drinking. And essentially what happens is you get a dilution of the electrolytes. And the main electrolyte is sodium. So that's why you see a lot of the, you know, LMNT formulas and all the other electrolyte formulas. I'm drinking that yeah, right now. <laughs> the, the most amount of the electrolyte is sodium mm-hmm. um, in the body. So that's, you know, the, the starting point. And then obviously if you're going to summer or you're, a PGA golfer and you're playing in hot, humid weather, you know, 90 degrees with 90% humidity and you might need more water with more electrolytes mm-hmm. in those cases. Mm-hmm. But I would say half your body weight is a good start. And then you alluded to earlier, a lot of water in the morning and I try to get people to drink 25% of their total intake in the morning. So just to keep the math really simple, if you have a person who's 200 pounds, half their body weight is 100 ounces for the day. So when they wake up in the morning, they're drinking that 25 ounces right away. And the reason why I say that is because it's what they call insensible fluid loss. So 
we don't think about it, but most people <laughs> lose water when they're sleeping. That's why they want to weigh themselves first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you weigh yourself at 10 o'clock at night and then you weigh yourself at seven o'clock in the morning, you weigh two, maybe three, four pounds lighter because through respiration, people don't really, they sweat at night. Obviously people will wake up, go pee. They don't even remember that. So you're losing water. So you're waking up in a dehydrated state. So that's where it's important to get the water, but also the sodium right back in your system as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And what role do those minerals and, and like the sodium and potassium, right? Magnesium, mm-hmm. a lot of the things that are in these electrolyte mixes. What role does that have in things like the functioning of your hormones? I know that it can affect your neurotransmitters, right? Your fluid balance, all of these things. So can you right. explain that to everybody? Yeah. So for example, you know, one of the markers you may look at someone, someone's blood markers is sodium. So normally you want to see it you know, 138 to 142, 143. So once it starts dropping like a 135, 136, they're sort of going in a sort of hyponatremic state, which means they're diluting the the sodium. So one of the things that people don't realize is the more stress you have within your system, the more sodium that your body uses. So oftentimes people always talk about adrenal glands and cortisol and stress, but they also forget that your body, your cortisol, or your adrenals produce cortisol, but they also produce aldosterone. And aldosterone's job is to help your body retain more sodium so you can keep a proper amount of water within the cells of your body. So in many cases, a lot of people that are highly stressed, whether it's mental, emotional, training for a triathlon, or they just have stressors from many different sources, they need more sodium. And it becomes even more important, especially for females that are very petite, train a lot and have low blood pressure. So with those types of people that I work with quite often, you have to ramp up the sodium and they feel much better when when they do that. Mm -hmm. Can you explain, isn't there a correlation between like reproductive hormones and sodium or is it cortisol and reproductive? I remember Uh, something that you were explaining to me a long time ago. Yeah, there there is definitely a connection between sodium because of aldosterone and then cortisol. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe, I think I wrote maybe a blog for you a while ago mm-hmm. where essentially what it is is that the brain essentially has a hierarchy in terms of what's the priority. So number one is safety. So you're trying to get safe and not get eaten by your predator, like a rabbit, not you know tie hanging from the snake or the bear, whatever that is. And the second is sustenance. So you're trying to look for food. And then the third is procreation sex. So essentially what happens, especially in the context of stress and then sex hormones, is that when you're highly stressed, the last thing that your body wants to do is make your sex hormones. So oftentimes, if you just look at, it's a concept called pregnenolone steel. When you're highly stressed, the resources are shunted to deal with the stressor, whether it's, you know, an attorney with high profile case and they're staying up, you know, you know, to one o'clock in the morning, waking up at five in the morning and only getting four hours of sleep, that becomes a stressor. That's like the bear chasing them. Or you have someone who's, you know, in school, dental school, and they're taking, you know, exams and they're highly stressed. They don't know if they're gonna pass or or not. These are all accumulate. And so that is that bear chasing the particular person. And 
essentially what happens is that the, for a female, the estrogen or progesterone suffers because that's not the priority. The priority is to survive from the bear, so to speak. And then for a male, it could be lower testosterone levels because they have too much stress within the system. Mm -hmm. So obviously that's a very basic general explanation, but that's where we have to go hunting for those issues, especially when people are taking bioidentical hormones or you know, they're doing creams and all kinds of other things and are not getting better. They're symptomatic. Mm-hmm. Or there's a honeymoon phase, right? They feel, oh, I feel amazing for the next two months, three months, and then the symptoms come back or they get worse. Mm-hmm. And that's because basically they didn't get to the root cause of the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. was going to say, I feel like a lot of people treat, I mean, there's that the whole conversation about upstream, downstream, right? Like, I feel like mm. the hormone imbalance is pretty downstream and you have to go upstream and how upstream right. can you get? Yeah. And when we started working together years ago, I was like, well, my hormones are off. And you were like, yeah, but like, we have to fix your gut first, you know, mm. because that was more upstream and right. we can get into that and how that affects everything as well. Yep. And I would imagine cortisol and maybe stressors or even subconscious stressors if you're having relationship issues or if there's just a constant stress in, stressor in your life, right? that has to be addressed even before or simultaneously with the gut. I mean, because like you're saying, it sounds like you can treat these more downstream things. You can treat the gut, you can treat the hormones, but if you're not getting to the root, eventually it's just going to like go back to... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's where I think people will get some marginal results. Mm -hmm. So they might use a bioidentical cream and they, oh, I feel a little bit better, but I'm still having symptoms. Mm -hmm. You know, we obviously, I when we initially started working together, I said, look, I think there's definitely some gut issues involved. And in order to resolve your hormonal issues over time, we need to definitely address that. Otherwise, we're going to be kind of, you know, run around circles. The best way I can explain to people of how the gut impacts your hormones is that if you, you know, I, I just earlier, I just mentioned about stressors, whether it's, you know, an attorney, big case, dental student, or someone's got a death in the family. Like I just had a woman the other, the day where, you know, everything went downhill for her health. And then I always ask, okay, well, how are you before that? Well, it's fine. Like I wasn't having problems sleeping, but now I, I, you know, I sleep four hours a night and I wake up three, four times a night and my hair's kind of falling out and my nails are weak and I can't put on any muscle. And then you go back to, okay, well, what happened previously? And then there was, you know, my father had horrific death and then, you know, empty nesters. And then third thing is my dog died. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so Mm -hmm. I understand that because our dog died and I can only imagine what she was going through. So these are all stressors that typically happen. And so at least with some of the mental emotional stressors, work stress or family stress, you sleep, right? And so obviously subconsciously might be grinding your teeth and stressing out and it might disturb your sleep, but at least you get some break from it from a conscious level. When you have digestive distress, so that could be anything such as a parasite overgrowth, bacteria, fungus, yeast, and people don't really know about it. They just know that, I wake up and I have diarrhea five times, six times, and that's normal, but that's not a normal bowel movement. And so if they do have an overgrowth going on, or if they're having leaky gut all the time because they drink wine every night, whatever that is, then that inflammatory process or stressor to the gut is constant. 
So when they're sleeping, it becomes a 24-hour day stress. Mm -hmm. and it becomes a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week stress. And weeks go by and months go by. And so basically the, the person never gets a break from that stressor. So it's sort of like you leaving on your faucet and dripping water all day long and you're wasting your water. Essentially your body's going, what the hell's going on? We got to try to fix this. So your body will strategically try to up its cortisol levels and you're essentially wasting your cortisol throughout the day, but also throughout the night. Mm -hmm. And then obviously there's that trickle effect of, okay, well, if you're constantly being stressed, then your body doesn't have the capacity to make your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHA, you name it, for mm -hmm. the sex hormones. And is that the process by which somebody would maybe not become like immunocompromised, but their immune system would lower? Right. So it's sort of like a snowball effect, right? So it's the perfect storm. So obviously you have a compromised GI system. Normally, most people say, oh, well, the the gut is about 70% of your immune system. And if if you read through the literature, it's it's true when you look at the interaction of the gut and the immune system. And so oftentimes when the gut is compromised for a period of time, and then your body's basically predisposed towards picking up things, or maybe they were there before, we don't know that. And so that's where, for example, with traveling, I try to get people to be prophylactic in terms of obviously probiotics. So travel with probiotics that you don't need to refrigerate. Use those whenever you're going anywhere, whether it's you know domestic or international. Like we were, I was just in Barbados for three weeks with my son for surf competitions. And then, so I planned on, okay, we're taking probiotics you know, twice a day. We're taking some oil of oregano just to help, just in case we come across anything. That way we can try to minimize that effect and keep our immune system strong. So I know you travel, so that's something we'll definitely try to implement for you moving forward so that we can try to keep the gut as resilient as possible. And that's mm -hmm. the thing is that you're going to always come across, you know, parasites or yeast or bacteria. You might get a batch of sushi when you go out to eat. So we want to try to create that environment where your gut can be resilient. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, maybe you might have some loose stool for a couple of days, but it should be able to bounce back. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is that, you know, I have some people that are like, oh, I, I, you know, I had perfect poop for a week. And I'm like, that's great. But then it might go off for a couple of days and they freak out and they go, oh my God, something's wrong. I go, no, no, no. As long as your body comes back online, you know, if you had exposure to food or something, then that's okay. It's just a matter of, okay, if you're having diarrhea three or four times a day, every single day, and that's your normal, then there's something maybe going on mm -hmm. with that particular person. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know about you guys, but I usually go through my weeks going 100 miles a minute. I am booked. I am busy. I am distracted. And yes, you guys know that I have a lot of self-care practices that I try to work in throughout the day, but I really need some time for myself, some time to navigate certain things in my life. And I get that time through therapy. It is like the most important hour of my week. And it can really give you the tools to find more balance in your life. I know so many of you are so busy supporting yourselves and others, but you have to make sure that you don't leave yourself behind. So therapy, in my experience, is 
one of, if not the most important tools that I have in my toolkit. I feel like it's so important, not only when things are hard, I think that's a big misconception about therapy, but it can be so useful even when things are good and it can just kind of help you, you know, with positive coping skills and learning how to set boundaries and empowering you to be the best version of yourself. So it's not just for somebody who's like experienced major trauma, although obviously it has an application there too. But I really think that everybody can benefit from therapy. If you're in a relationship, you can benefit from therapy. If you're not in a relationship, you can benefit from therapy. Whatever your circumstances in life are, student, worker, daughter, brother, sister, mother, father, friend, you deserve to have somebody who can help to look at your life objectively and help you navigate things because we all have challenges that come up or things that we want to build upon. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash files today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash files. I have finally tried the protein powder I've been seeing all over TikTok. So a little backstory, as you hear in this episode, Rob and I are talking about how I went from not eating for hours when I wake up to now eating within 30 minutes of waking up, specifically aiming for a lot of protein. And my issue is I'm really not hungry. There's not a whole lot that I want to eat within 30 minutes of waking up, but I have found that I love to do some coconut yogurt with protein powder, but so many protein powders, especially mixed with yogurt, have like this chalky aftertaste. But okay, so I saw this one on TikTok, Clean Simple Eats, and I am obsessed. It is so creamy and smooth. There's zero chalkiness. So I like to mix it with my coconut yogurt. And then I add some hemp seeds, flax seeds, chia seeds, some berries, whatever I'm feeling on that day. And it is something that I look forward to every morning. It also helps me feel fuller longer. I have so much energy throughout the day. I feel like I don't have sweet cravings that I get when I have like oatmeal or something else sweet in the morning. So I cannot go a day without it. Each serving contains 20 grams of grass-fed whey protein. So the whey is cold processed from start to finish, keeping all the nutrients intact. And their formula also contains a digestive enzyme blend to help break down the protein into usable amino acids. They have over 22 delicious all-natural flavors. My favorite is the Simply Vanilla. When I mix it with the yogurt, honestly, it tastes kind of like cheesecake, but it's not overly sweet. It's just the perfect amount with this really like creamy vanilla flavor, but they have tons of other unique flavor combinations. You can try 10 different kinds with their protein variety pack and you can feel good about their protein powder because it's non-GMO, gluten-free, third-party tested, always grass-fed and made with zero artificial ingredients. So visit cleansimpleeats.com and use the code BLONDE at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's cleansimpleeats.com with the code BLONDE for 20% off your first order. It's 2023 and I'm sure everybody is 
trying to be more conscious about the impact that they are making on the environment. I know that sustainability and fashion has become a huge thing. And I'm noticing with a lot of brands and brand gifting, they're really paying attention to packaging and things like that. And I think that's amazing. But there's one thing that we are probably all doing daily that is having a huge effect on the environment. And I don't think people are really thinking about it. So have you ever wondered why laundry detergent comes in massive plastic jugs? Who asked for that in 2023? 91% of those inconvenient, awkward, heavy jugs end up in landfills and oceans, harming our planet and our marine life. So it's not like we can just stop doing laundry, but there is a better way. And that is with Earth Breeze. So Earth Breeze makes laundry detergent eco sheets that look like dryer sheets, basically, but they're not. It's a revolutionary liquidless laundry detergent that dissolves 100% in any wash cycle. Hot or cold, there's no measuring, no mess, no heavy plastic jugs. It's not cumbersome. You just toss the sheet in and that's it. So I have to say, when I first got my Earth Breeze eco sheets, I was skeptical. I was wondering how something that looks like a dryer sheet could actually be effective in washing my clothes. And it came out amazing. You get a super powerful clean. So Earth Breeze is still tough on stains, fights odors. Your clothes come out clean every time. And they are great for all lifestyles, even people with sensitive skin. The eco sheets are hypoallergenic and dermatologist tested. And this was another big thing for me because a lot of laundry detergents really irritate my skin, but these did not. So I highly recommend, but don't just take my word for it. You can try for yourself with their risk-free 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't like it, Earth Breeze will give you a full refund, no questions asked, and no return necessary. So switch from the old-fashioned goo to something new and stop carrying around and using those giant plastic jugs. Right now, my listeners can subscribe to Earth Breeze and save 40%. Just go to earthbreeze.com slash blonde to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash blonde for 40% off. earthbreeze.com slash blonde. Okay, so let's talk digestion and and Mm -hmm. gut health. What mistakes do you think people make when it comes to digestion or taking care of their digestion in their gut? It's a really good question. I think from a digestive perspective from north to south. So, you know, obviously we live in California. So if you look at the top of California, like I think the the city that's on the top is like Crescent City or Truckee, California. So if you start there and that's, you know, going down to San Diego is like the bottom of digestion. That's in terms of the the thoughts and the chewing of your food. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes people make. That's what we call the cephalic phase of digestion. So when you sit down to a meal, you might put a few bites of food in your mouth and, and she think my wife thinks I'm weird because all people watch at a restaurant when we're eating them. She's like, what are you doing? What are you? And I'm just watching people chew their food because- <laughs> Counting. Counting because <laughs> literally they will take huge bites of food and they chew yeah, six, one, seven two, times. Swallow. <laughs> and they swallow or it's, they'll just chug down their- water to push down the food. And that's the chewing process is really important because you're telling your stomach, guys, 
food's coming, get ready. So when you're chewing and you have that cephalic phase of digestion, you're getting the proper amount of acid to be reproduced in the stomach. So you don't chew your food enough, you're probably not going to get enough hydrochloric acid in the stomach. And we know that's the digestive spark plug for digestion the rest of the way. And so I think that's where I really have to educate people on you know, eating in a peaceful arm. So eat in peace, try not to work through lunch. I have to continue work on it. Even today, before we came, I had some leftover pork chops and carrots and I sat there and, oh, okay, I better count. So sometimes I'll check myself and, okay, did I really count enough? So I just tell people, look, just shoot for 40, 40 chews before you swallow. And people go, oh my gosh. <laughs> but I, I, I have people do an exercise to say, okay, I want you to do a chew assessment. So next three meals, breakfast, lunch, dinner, no distraction, no TV, no iPad, no phone, just sit there and eat and then have a conversation with your spouse, roommate, whatever that is, mm-hmm. whoever's in your life. And sometimes that surprisingly affects people 30, 40, 50%. Because one, they're breaking down their food mechanically, right? But they're also getting more acid production. So that in turn is going to affect bile acid production. And then when it gets to the small intestine, it's going to affect pancreatic enzyme output from your pancreas. So it's something that is not addressed, especially obviously in this day and age, people are just constantly go. So I think that's where people make the biggest mistake. So I literally Mm -hmm. have to tell people, look, you don't have to do it now, but you have to schedule a lunch because you know this environment, work environment, everybody works from home. So it's great in that way, but people don't take breaks. Yeah. And so there's huge yeah, ramifications of that, right? They just, <laughs> yeah, they live at work basically, or work is at home now. So their blood sugar is not stable. They're not eating a piece. So they're not digesting their food. And they're like, oh God, why do I feel like I got a baby gut or mm-hmm. you know baby belly? So that's probably one of the the biggest mistakes that Mm -hmm. I see people make. I think it's so much easier for people to do things like take digestive bitters and digestive Mm. enzymes and the probiotics and do all these kind of external or additive things instead of doing that because it feels so foreign. Like I remember that was another thing that we talked about. And I think one of the events that you and I did together with Hello Wellness, like you did an exercise where we closed our eyes and we visualized something like a lemon or something. Right, and you could right. feel yeah. salivating. I mean, there's a whole process that happens yeah. that we just override because we're sitting down to eat, scrolling TikTok and Instagram with the TV on and the whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and just so much distractions. And yeah. I mean, I'm super guilty of it too. Oh, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I mean, Angie makes fun of me all the time. But I love action movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not the best thing for digestion, right? Like your cortisol yeah, levels go up. And <laughs> I mean, I, and I know this because I can't remember. I, I I can't believe I remember this. But in undergrad, we had to do we had to do studies on rats. So if you think that's animal cruelty, this is what we had to do for a class. Mm-hmm. But basically, we would do that and we would test hormones. And one of the classes we actually tested ourselves. So the professor had us do a saliva test, which I had you do before for cortisol, Mm -hmm. because you get a real live time, like actual time of, okay, what's your cortisol level at that time as you collect? So we did that as a baseline. And then one, we watched The Sound of Music, and then we tested our cortisol after. (laughs) And then the next movie we watched, (laughs) Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then test our cortisol. (laughs) I mean, right then and there, I mean, you saw huge increases in cortisol. So obviously for me to watch 
you know, Fast and the Furious or, you know, some kind of action movie. I still do it, <laughs> but for the majority of the time, but you're chewing 40 you times. Know, I try to do that and I try to be a better example to my boys because, mm-hmm. you know, they're watching surf videos or whatever as they're eating. But it's, you know, it's, it's, it's what you try to do is, you know, 80, 20 rule, right? Try to do it 80% of the time. And then you can handle, you know, if you want to be on TikTok or whatever, eating your meal is, is fine. But the, the thing is to be conscious of, okay, let's get you to actually chew your food. And then obviously from a, a body composition perspective, most people eat less because they're actually chewing their right. food, enjoying it. Feeling uh, satiated. And feeling satiated. Mm-hmm. That's one of the big factors as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something about thoughts while you're eating as well. Could you go into that a little bit? Yeah. So with thoughts, it was that exercise that everybody do at that event for mm-hmm. health and wellness. And just with your thoughts, that starts that cephalic phase of digestion. Okay, got it. So obviously smells involved. So if you drive by a fast food joint, you're like, oh, fries smell really good. And your thoughts can create that salivary response. And so that even promotes digestion as well. So if you think about carbohydrate digestion, it doesn't just start in your stomach or your small intestine, it starts in your mouth because your saliva has amylase. So if you chew three, four times, you know, your, your carbohydrates, then obviously it has a higher chance or probability of fermenting a little bit more in the wrong places. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's the other thing I, I think I saw someone said fermentation is so bad for your, your gut and those kinds of things. I, that, that's totally incorrect. Fermentation is not bad in your gut. It's just if it's in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. So fermentation should happen with the undigestible carbs mm-hmm. in your colon, because that's where your your bacteria makes short-chain fatty acids and that creates this whole sequence of feeding the bacteria, the clonocytes, that whole thing, and you get protection of your body. So obviously if it happens in the small intestine, then that's when people get bloated, gas, farting, belching, even stomach pain, if mm-hmm. that can be a, some, an issue for a person as well. Is that the food combining people who talk about that, about the um, fermentation? May, yeah, I think I maybe like it was it. something like that with food combining. If mm-hmm. you know what food combining is, it's typically it's separating, you know, your proteins and fats from carbohydrates and yeah, having your carbohydrates separately. But my feeling is if you have to do that, then you might have some digestive, it might be indicative of a digestive issue mm-hmm. because we do produce protease, amylase, like all the enzymes at once. And, and that goes kind of like what we talked about higher up the chain is, that sometimes if a person responds really well to digestive enzymes, sometimes that's not the primary issue. It's a secondary issue. The primary issue is that maybe they're not producing enough hydrochloric acid. Mm-hmm. So that's where I help people do an acid test. So basically you can use ACV, absolute vinegar, but I have found the hard way. Half the time people hate it where, you know, people are like, oh my God, I'm so <laughs> nauseous when I do applesider vinegar. So I go, fine, you can use lemon juice. It's pretty similar acidity. And then you just take a tablespoon of that, maybe dilute with a little bit of water, take like a shot before you eat a meal, a protein meal. And oftentimes it's like, oh my gosh, like I feel much better. Like my gas is reduced by like 50%. I go, that's a telltale sign. You need more acid support hmm. in your stomach. Mm-hmm. And then you don't need to use this expensive enzymes anymore. Or maybe you cut down on that. And maybe you take a, a capsule or two of, of hydrochloric acid, mm-hmm. you know? Obviously, it's contraindicated, and just so people know, is if you have history of ulcers or anything like that, reflux, then you know you have to consult a physician or a practitioner who actually knows how to deal with some of these digestive issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much 
obviously this varies from person to person, but how much does food play a role? I mean, after the, you know, if we're going top down, after the initial chewing and Mm -hmm. enzymes released in our saliva and all of that, how much of the response that we get is from the actual food that we're eating versus whether we are, you know, properly engaging in the eating process. <laughs> right. It, it, it's a really good question because obviously the chewing and having enough acid in your stomach is a big part, but that's where if you're reacting to food, then that can be part of it too. And so obviously there's a big, you know, always big talk about food sensitivities and that's not the end all be all of your digestive issues, whatever they may, you know, whether you have bloating or gas or indigestion, it's just part of the process. So I try to, I try to give people an analogy. I just say, look, it, food sensitivities or your reaction to food, whether it's you know FODMAPs or, you know, obviously like a big talk is histamine, right? Histamine response. But if we just kind of just talk about food sensitivities in general, the food sensitivities is sort of like if you went on a hike up in, you know, like I don't know, Los Angeles mountains or somewhere, your local mountains, and you get a pebble in your shoe or your your hiking boot, right? You're like, oh, it's such a hassle to take off my boot. Like I have 20 different laces, whatever that is. So you just keep hiking. Well, obviously <laughs> the pebble is going to be in there like rubbing against your, wherever it is on your foot. And you're going to probably get an irritation blister eventually start limping. And then from there, you're probably going to have some knee soreness or eventually hip pain and then low back pain because you have to make it back from a 10 mile hike. That's sort of similar, like a food sensitivity. So if you are not aware that you're sensitive to eggs or dairy or wheat or corn, it's sort of that irritant that's just inflaming your intestinal tract that you need to remove over time. Otherwise, you're not going to heal eventually. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that it's the end all be all. Like I said before, I mean, if you look from north to south, if you're not chewing your food enough, you're not producing enough acid, maybe you need more enzymes later down the chain. But this is part of sort of peeling the onion, so to speak, Mm -hmm. of resolving someone's issue. Mm -hmm. My advice for people, your listeners, is that if you do remove the food sensitivities and you have sort of a, you know, marginal reduction, like 30% reduction in your symptoms, then you got to go hunting for other things. It's not to say that it wasn't effective. It's just, I think people misunderstand the use of that and they go, oh, well, I had like a 50% reduction, but it didn't work. I'm like, no, you had a 15% reduction or even 30% means you're on the right track. It's just, you got to go hunting for other things that are causing your issues. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes have that mentality of the the magic pill effect, right? Mm-hmm. Like people are looking for, okay, if I just do this and I'll be better. <laughs> but yeah. unfortunately, it's not the case. Mm-hmm. And it can be a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a marathon and I just try to people... Tell people, look, you know, yeah, all these things are coming up on your lab markers, your blood markers, but this is kind of a good sign. It gives us light in the tunnel to say, okay, we've got a lot of things to kind of work on, but it's a process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a Mm -hmm. journey like, you know, we talked about. Yeah, and I think it was you who said to me once, if you're not assessing, you're guessing or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, so there's a lot of things if you're not testing, you're Mm -hmm. guessing. I mean, Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's where the testing comes into play. Mm-hmm. You know, I think some, I just did a live a couple of days ago and someone asked, well, do you always use blood work or you just, can you just use lifestyle? I go, do both. Um, mm-hmm. Oftentimes blood work is just a guide to let you know, look, 
your HSCRP is really high. It's a marker for systemic inflammation. Okay, we know inflammation is really high. Okay, so where is it coming from? Like, is it coming because your blood glucose, fasting glucose is like a 105, 1010 or 110? I feel attacked right now. You know? <laughs> no, no, you weren't, you weren't. Or, you know, maybe, you know, your omega-3s are way too low mm-hmm. and your omega-6s are way too high. So that's where some of the testing comes into play so we can pinpoint and go, okay, let's make a strategic plan and not play darts in the dark, you mm-hmm. know, and go, okay, well, let's see if this works or that right. works, you know. And oftentimes, you know, lifestyle is, and changing lifestyle is a big part of improving someone's health. Mm-hmm. So that's why I always tell people, look, if you're not willing to really change your lifestyle around, then I'm probably not the person to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? so we can use myself for this example. Like we recently did mm-hmm. comprehensive blood work where we checked everything from inflammation to cardiac biomarkers to omegas to right. just a regular blood panel, hepatic function, like everything that you could really think of. Yep. And Based on that, you did make some lifestyle tweaks to improve things. And one of those was what my morning looks like in terms of (laughs) hydration and food. So probably everyone listening knows that I like to start my morning with my matcha (laughs) with a little bit of maple syrup. And then a couple hours later, I'm eating breakfast, maybe oats or something. And Mm -hmm. you were like, yeah, no. (laughs) So you're having me do water first. And then within 30 minutes of waking up, have protein and maybe some berries or something like that. And then my matcha. So let's talk a little bit about that and about timing of meals. And we can talk about PFF and yeah. all of that. No, I mean, it's great that you're totally open book to willing to share, obviously, you know, some of your labs and your experiences and what you're going through. So... For my recollection, yeah, your blood glucose was on the higher end. However, I had had my matcha with maple syrup before the blood that, work. <laughs> right, right. So obviously we're kind of taking that into effect, yeah. uh, into consideration in regards mm-hmm. to how that can impact your blood glucose. However, I remember two markers that were more pointing to the issue of hypoglycemia. Mm-hmm. And so one was hemoglobin A1C. So a lot of people say, oh, they'll probably hear about a commercial like, oh, test your A1C, you know, like <laughs> either a drug commercial for diabetes yes. or, you know, your continuous glucose monitor, that whole thing, yeah. right? So it, it always baffles me because there's reference ranges that we use and I use functional ranges. But for some reason, if it's really high, that's a problem, right? Like, oh, you're kind of going towards pre-diabetes, really need to watch this or I need to put you on some medication or, you know, lifestyle changes. But then what if it goes below a five, like it's a 4.8, I think it was like 4.6, 4.7. That's a problem too. Mm-hmm. And that's where it points to the fact, okay, there's hypoglycemia involved. But then another marker that, I, that we ran with you was LDH, lactose dehydrogenase. And so anytime we start to see that underneath 160 and then gravitating towards 140, then we're going, okay, this sort of confirms that, okay, there's some hypoglycemia involved. And then that's why I said, well, What's your morning routine been been like? Because I I think it's been a while since we had talked. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you explained, okay, well, I wake up, I have my water, which that's the foundation, which I haven't changed. And then you had your matcha and then two, three hours later you had breakfast. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, no more. (laughs) Because for you, you're petite, you're fit. And when you're 
blood sugar is dropping, that's when you have major effects on your physiology. Like one of the things I think will improve over time is nausea, which you had that complaint. And so your blood sugar is not stable. And so, yes, you might feel okay because obviously you're getting the matcha, a little bit of some maple syrup, and that kind of holds you over. But it starts, well, it'll start to affect you later in the day where you're going to have maybe energy that's not as stable, or you might have sugar cravings towards the end of the evening. And I, I find clinically my, from my experiences that once you start improving someone's blood glucose from the very get-go, their, their sleep improves quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Because essentially what you're doing is whatever you're choosing to consume in the morning, that's setting the rhythm of cortisol throughout the rest of the day. So just like you know, there's a big push, people saying, oh, you get sunlight exposure, right? First thing in the morning, because it sets your circadian rhythm because it's a zeitgeber. It's one of the main ones with light exposure. Well, food is another major one. So if your food is all over the place where you're skipping meals or not eating meals, then that could set your circadian rhythm as well. And so that's hmm. why food can be very powerful. And people go, well, I don't see that happening. Go, well, just travel to Europe, right? I mean, you go to a different time zone, eight hours difference or 12 hours, whatever that time zone is, your poop is kind of different. You know, maybe you're constipated, you're tired, right? Your food is all over the place. Maybe you junked out on the plane, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So that starts to change your rhythm. And for some people, it's really hard to get in rhythm when they go to different time zone. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people are creating their own jet lag, technically what we call social jet lag, (laughs) by what, you know, they're choosing to do with their lifestyle. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, one night they're up till one or 2 a.m. playing Fortnite, you know, and then right. the next night, oh, I'm so tired. I'm going to go at nine, go to bed at nine. And they wake up at, you know, six. And then <laughs> the next day they're Fortnite again. And they wake up at like 12 in the afternoon. <laughs> and in that way, they're creating their own jet lag. Essentially. Yeah, that's so interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. although a person may say, ah, oh, you know, you're too rigid and you're too structured, you know, I like to just fly off the seat of my pants. Well, your body <laughs> doesn't like yeah, it. Yeah, your body doesn't love that. Right. But I would imagine there are some so, people who are kind of forced into that, like people who are working overnight shifts, yeah. um, nurses, doctors, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, whatever. There are so many people that have kind of strange hours like that. Yeah. I would imagine that would be very difficult because I'm like you, like I, I don't consider myself regimented, but I just... I don't know. I just thrive more off of like a, a routine like a routine. that where I'm going to bed. I'm in bed at nine usually, like unless it's a weekend, we're going out to dinner or something right. like that. But I feel best if I'm like asleep by 10. I wake up at six naturally, right. which is just how my body is. Yep. And then, and I just know over the years, like what makes me feel best. And it's definitely not having the circadian rhythm all over the place. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I was, you know, I'll be 50 next year, which is, yeah. I mean, I'll be, I'll be 50 next year. I know it's kind of time flies, but it's so funny because my, when I was in my thirties, forties, my clients would tell me, Rob, you just wait till you turn 40 or 45 (laughs) or 50, you know, and you're like still waiting. (laughs) uh, Well, I mean, I, I do realize that things slow down. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I really had to take to heart was my sleep because either I would, you know, train and then surf a couple hours with, you know, my sons and then, oh, I got to work on this next book or whichever. So I cut the sleep short, right? So I'm, I'm not getting seven and a half, eight hours of sleep or maybe a little more. I'm getting maybe five and a half, six hours. I cheat and then I'm getting, oh, I'm getting a sore throat. I get sick. 
And I'd done that many times to myself. And it got to the point where, like, okay, like I'm getting aches and pains. Like I got to start emphasizing my sleep more. And yeah, there's nights where I might watch a show a little later, but I try to get back to that point of, okay, get the seven and a half, eight hours of sleep, mm-hmm. which as you know, is so important. Yes. It's the foundation of my life. If I get less than eight hours, I can do it for like a day or two, but right. everything unravels. And I talk about it here all the time. I probably sound like a broken record, but I mean, my appetite is all over the place. My energy is all over the place. It's just, I just can't do it. Some people can, you know, like my dad is a doctor. I think they train you for that in med school to be able to function. Cause every doctor that I know, like has the weirdest sleep schedule, sleep schedule you know, they sleep yeah. five hours a night and they feel great. Yeah. Whereas I would be like hospitalized if right. I did that for well, like it, just when three you, consecutive when you, nights. Yeah. When you said it just triggered my thought about sleep and I think you said like hunger or satiety. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that I, I, I talk about in a, I'm, trying to write a program right now for for gut health. And so one of the interesting things about research when you start reading it, it's sort of like, you know, like a black hole. You go in and you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much information. And then, but you find some interesting things where, you know, when you start to get sleep deprived and it be, becomes where, you know, you get four or five hours a night of sleep and that sort of thing, it affects satiety hormones. So, you know, ghrelin is a hormone that increases appetite. So they show that as people, subjects are sleep deprived, the ghrelin levels go up. And so you, you look at that sort of pattern and basically what ends up happening is when people are sleep deprived, their choices of foods changes mm-hmm. because of the ghrelin levels. And so they don't pick like organic, you know, or grass fed beef and then, you know, wild salmon and kale and broccoli. <laughs> they choose processed foods, pretzels, yeah. you know, Chips, donuts. If I'm, if those I'm tired, I eat like I used to eat when I was hungover right. in like right. when I was 20 years old. You know, yeah. like I just, I don't yep. care. Like I, I crave that totally kind of salty, and there's totally oily, a physiological reason food. why that happens. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so it all completely makes sense. And then obviously, then you do that. And then processed foods are probably inflammatory to your gut. And then mm-hmm. you get gut issues. And then you get a compromised immune system. Then people wonder why they get sick after exams. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know? yeah. And so that there you go. is wholly a <laughs> uh, reason why. Uh-huh. Are there any foods that you think people universally should be eating? Obviously, people have different sensitivities like we were talking mm-hmm. about before, different dietary preferences. But are there any kind of quote unquote super foods that you just think are super beneficial. I know you love sardines. Like is that one Yeah, of I them? mean that's just my I mean that's my quick sort of protein, mm-hmm. you know, meal. But I it's not to I don't have anything to sell with PFF or anything mm-hmm. like that. The 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 story behind that is that when I wrote my first book, Hole in One Nutrition, I worked with a lot of golfers. So I'm the nutritionist over at the Tides Performance Institute. And so if you know anything about golfers and their eating habits I learned the hard way because I was like, oh, you got to eat organic food and you got to do this and that. And all the guys over there, like the the chiropractor and the golf pro and, you know, all the other people, they're like, Rob, like we're dealing with golfers. <laughs> like if you tell them maybe, okay, cut down on the beer, maybe at, you know, the turn, that's probably what they might be able to do. So that's where your BFF for blood turn control for PFF came about. That's where I think the protein, fat and fiber is really important. Protein, you have a threshold of protein that your body needs. 
So that's where people will go looking for more food if they don't have enough protein. So oftentimes when Angie and I go out to eat dinner, protein costs the most, right? So they don't, they kind of skimp you on the protein unless you pay for double or if it's a huge amount of of a huge steak. So oftentimes I go after dinner, I'm like, okay, I'm hungry or I I want other food, right? We'll eat other foods or more carbohydrates or other types of foods at home. So I think that's really important for people to do. And what is that threshold? Well, in terms of amount, mm-hmm. um, you know, if people want gram amounts, you know, I would say eventually maybe a gram per pound of body weight is not the upper limit, but it's probably maybe where someone may want to go to. But I tell people, look, that's not always the case with everybody because sometimes if a person, you know, does a protein sort of assessment and they go, oh, well, I actually looked at how much protein I only get like 40 or 50, 60 grams a day and they weigh 120 pounds, I go, well, then don't go to 120, just go to like 80 or go to maybe 100. You don't need to, you're still going to get some great benefits just by increasing your protein, stabilizing your blood sugar, probably feeling better, recovering from exercise. So there's no need to go to that one gram per pound. Probably the most important thing is just to assess where you're at first Mm -hmm. and then make some changes. Mm -hmm. And then the fat's very important because fat will help stabilize your blood sugar, but also keep you satiated. And then the fiber is a big one. So I know people are into carnivore and there might be cases for that. And I have some personal opinions as to maybe why people are feeling better on that. The fiber is really important because do need fiber. And I know there's people, they're always asking me questions, well, you know, what about the lectin thing? And there's lectins and that sort of thing. And that can be an issue, FODMAPs. But that is where I alluded to earlier about the fermentation, right? So you need short-chain fatty acids. That is what your colonocytes use for fuel. And that is basically produced by bacteria breaking down the fiber in your vegetables and your fruit. And that produces a short-chain fatty acids. That's really important because there's research showing it helps with inflammation. With NF-kappa-beta, it helps with leaky gut. It helps with the mucin, what we call the mucosal lining as a protective mechanism for your intestinal tract. So if you're not eating vegetables and fiber, then that's a problem over time. So I think the PFF really helps not only for blood sugar stability, but for gut health in the long run for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not to say you don't have, ever have rice or carbohydrates, because obviously if you have resistant starch mm-hmm. you know, with, with rice or potatoes, then that's a great way to feed your gut microbiome as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember when I started doing more PFF, I I felt like there was a period where I was tired a Mm -hmm. lot. Is that common for people when they switch from a more like carbohydrate heavy diet? Yeah, yeah, it it can be. So I, I tell people, look, there's always a switch that takes anywhere from 10 to 14 days, maybe longer Mm -hmm. for it to happen. So if if someone has a predominant diet where they have starches or carbohydrates every single meal, then just increase the vegetable intake in ratio. If you're if you're transitioning, you want to try PFF, protein, fats, and fiber, and you're predominantly like a big rice eater, you know, that's like a lot of rice you eat. Well, just simply cut down the rice you do eat at a meal, but just up your vegetables. So, mm-hmm. you know, if half your plate is rice, well, you know, make it a quarter of rice and then increase your veggie intake whether it's broccoli or a low FODMAP, you know, if you're following a low FODMAP diet, then increase those types of vegetables. You know, that that's important. Like it just jogs my memory because I have this high profile NFL athlete 
And I said, you know, I mean, his inflammation marker, I mean, everything was off. And I'm like, you have a lot of room to improve. And I mean, this guy's a number one, or I think first round draft anyways. So just wants to improve his performance. I says, well, I want you to add, like what vegetables would you eat? I always typically ask that of a client. He's like, he just shook his head. I'm like, what do you, why are you shaking your head? I don't eat vegetables. <laughs> and so. Oh my God. I says, well, how, I mean, how about like some carrots or onions and like chicken soup? Mm-mm. <laughs> I'm like, well, how about some fruit? Oh yeah, I'll do I'll do some frozen berries. <laughs> okay, let's start with that. You know, so you, you know sometimes it might where be they are. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, meet them where they are. It might be as extreme as that, mm-hmm. and then you might have to work towards you know re- reduction. But yeah, if you're going to go straight from a very pretty high starch diet to a PFF based diet mostly, then yeah, you're going to see fluctuations in energy or drop in energy if. They're a particular person that's very active. So they do CrossFit four times a week, five times a week. That may not be the avenue where they want to go. Or they have meals where it's timing. So maybe what they would do is they would sandwich their workout with carbs before and after. And then the rest of the day, they sort of go with a PFF style meal. Mm-hmm. And then that way they stabilize their pleasure before they go to bed and they stabilize it first thing in the morning. But then after their workout, or before and after the workout from 12 to one, they would have carbs. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's all kinds of ways to kind of skin the cat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to touch quickly on supplements. Yes. That's the top of your triangle. So mm-hmm. are there, again, kind of similar question to the food, are there universal supplements that you think everybody should be incorporating? Or do you think that people should get testing and be evaluated and see where they're deficient if they are deficient in certain things and then supplement based on that? Yeah, I think testing is necessary over time. So, you know, you could just generally take 5,000 IUs of vitamin D and be fairly safe, but mm-hmm. you you just don't know if you're at an optimal level with vitamin D. So that's why it's very easy to get your vitamin D levels tested from your doctor. They just have to take off a box and most docs check it these days. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is omega-3s. We have the ability to test the percentage of your DHA and EPA, those are the two omega-3s. And there should be a certain amount. And also ratio should be a certain ratio because if it's not, then that's just one source of inflammation that could be running out of control, so to speak. Yeah, I think yours is 40, but I mean, it's surprising that that's not even that high. I have people over like 110, 115. Oh, wow. So like I had a couple labs come back and a woman was, I think, 115, 120. It's what we call their arachidonic acid EPA ratio. Mm-hmm. And then I think it went down to 40, which is great, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's it's a great improvement. From then, supplementing or through from, diet? From from supplementation. Mm-hmm. So normally we change the diet first and then we try to do the supplementation later. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, gosh, I, we should have seen a much better drop. But then I ended up finding out, well, when you when are you taking it? And then she was only doing the one dose. Oh. So she was only doing, uh, I think it was a gram and a half, so three capsules, mm-hmm. where she needed to do it breakfast and dinner. Oftentimes, if there's source of inflammation running throughout the body, that affects hormones. It just doesn't affect joints and connective tissue, that sort of thing. People always think, oh, inflammation, I got inflamed shoulder or right. my low back <laughs> or my hip or my knee. Inflammation that's out of control, that's chronic in the body is a problem. So that's what we got to go hunting for sources of that and then help to resolve that. And 
it's not that you don't want any inflammation. Like if you, you know, sprain your ankle, you want a certain amount of inflammation, but it's a chronic inflammation that becomes a problem, which can drive some of these problems or dysfunctions, whether it's, you know, your gut or your, your hormones. Mm-hmm. And it can also be from something like your gut as right. well, right? Right. So it can be part of that. So, you know, there's always talk about SIBO, right? Small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. So one of the ways that we can see if that's possibly happening is we may test leaky gut markers. So oftentimes they're, they're, yeah, you're replicating in your small intestine. They want to survive too. So they'll release what we call lipopolysaccharides, LPS. That's highly inflammatory to the intestinal tract. So that's one of the reasons why people feel better when they take an antibiotic, mm-hmm. not always, but they take it and they're like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. But then they don't do anything else for two months. And then it usually is a reoccurring SIBO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Amazing. Well, we are out of time, but thank you so much for coming back Thanks on. And that was me. very comprehensive and I think going to be so helpful for so many people. So tell everybody where they can find you. Website is robertyang.net. You can reach me there. Info at robertyang.net if you would like to set up a consultation. Robert Yang on Instagram. So thank you. all kinds of ways to reach me. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. You can go to ariellaurie.com. And I'm always posting about each episode over on my personal page at ariellaurie. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.